So this is how they made Andy Circus. I'm Tucker. Laser Brain Tag. I'm Sam, and this is 1981's Looker on Stinker Madness. What's that smell? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm thirsty as fuck. Thirsty, thirsty, thirsty as fuck. Hey, look at me! Thrill me. If you come back in here, I'm gonna hit you with so many rights, you're gonna beg for a left. Thrill me. Beg for a left. Thrill me. Hello and welcome to Stinker Madness. I am your host, Sam. With me today is Tucker. How are you, Tucker? Doing great, Sam. I finally saw Looker. And how many years has it been since I started pushing this one on you? Uh, I'd say at least... Seven? Probably. <laughs> I don't know. Probably about seven. Not sure the It's first been a time. long time. <laughs> been meaning to get it. I even yeah. had a digital copy already. Because it's like, oh, there's Looker, and it's cheap. I'll grab it so I can watch it, because Sam told me to watch it. Yeah, I the Blu-ray didn't show up in time, and I'm hoping that the deleted scenes are in there. I didn't read enough about it when I did it. I figure it's the most collected, or the largest collection this work will ever see. Hmm. In my research... um. I had stumbled across James Coburn is actually super pissed off about this movie. Really? Yeah, he was very angry. He said that it was a goddamn great movie that they gutted to make oh. a TV friendly length mm. that they would have a two for one special. It's a 90 minute. They put it in this slot and then it'll be really compatible with, uh, you know, a TV edit at that point, and he was basically furious and said that it was there's a lot of really great stuff that just gets on the floor. Oh, that's too bad. God, do you know like how much footage is or how much uh, the the original cut was? How long it was? It's got to be at least two hours if he's bitching that much. Yeah, got to be a if not more, and that there's probably. The way he and it's he's sort of dismissive. He's not going to go in at length because he's he's actually so pissed about it. But I'm just going to assume reading between the lines and in, in the words that I read that he was in the way he was angry about it is that there was a lot of it that was him. Mm. So there's probably some very sinister science fiction storytelling happening with his character in particular right. that's that's absent from the film. Yeah, he does feel like I mean he comes in late. And it feels like he's just there in a sprinkling of scenes, really. Yeah. That's too bad. I, I would be interested in seeing that. Yeah, so when I get the Blu-ray, I'll let you know. It was It's taking forever. I didn't. It's one of those where you don't pay attention to what you're doing when you're on Amazon and you click on it and then you're like, wait, did I probably could have got this next week and now I'm going to wait till the middle of the June on this one. All right. <laughs> right. Whatever. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's too bad Michael Crichton will never get a director's cut of this. Unless we can do it via yeah. seance. You think? I think that he's not, you know, <laughs> against seances. 
He doesn't really close his mind to anything. <laughs> Especially least of all lasers. So you're laser saying guns. there's a chance. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't at some point a restoration of it. it I mean, it would be a little surprising. The yeah. thing that wouldn't be surprising is that he apparently col- he kept extensive notes hmm. on everything and he always had assistance and so i don't think that there's anything left to mystery the way that he had wanted this one to turn out i also reading from his own words he didn't really feel like they had tampered with it all that much and i don't know if it's huh. him playing ball because right you really have to know that with that guy before Jurassic Park becomes the thing that it is, yeah. he's got to mind his P's and Q's. Right. He's a decent selling author. He's been allowed to direct films. His career has not skyrocketed until post yeah. uh, Jurassic Park, at which points he gets to do whatever he wants, realizes why fuck around with this movie business. You have to make too many compromises. I can just write whatever the hell I want yeah. in my books. Yeah. And we're still, we're still 12 years off of the Jurassic Park movie phenomenon at this point. Isn't it sort of, it's interesting that this movie is a very early 3D CGI and that 3D CGI would become, the Jurassic Park is its propellant. Yeah. It's interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. yeah. This is a year before Tron. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, one day when Michael Crichton is recognized, rightfully so, as the successor to the throne of Orson Welles, then people will comb his notes and restore Looker to its former glory. I wait, What? You don't think that's going to happen? <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Again, like, I... There's a lot of people that like him more than me, but I feel like for a, a distinguished taste, I'm as big a fan of him as you can be. Right. <laughs> I really find him interesting, but quizzical at the same time. And his novels are page turners. You know, yeah. there is some exhaustive research that happens to him. He does introduce people to ideas they wouldn't be introduced to otherwise, but ultimately he just writes page turners. Right. Right. I was being facetious. But also, I'm not against it. If someone started doing I'm it, not... I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, let's go with it. You should, because yeah. there's some good ideas here that if we might we may have missed some real key, you know, gems in the uh, philosophy of the Crichton. That's right. Also, Orson Welles turns out was kind of a fucking asshole. Sure. Isn't everybody? <laughs> Isn't everybody? Did you... I find out that everybody's an asshole. Did... Did you watch the the Love Me When I'm Dead or whatever? Mm. The the making of the is it yeah. the other side of the wind thing? Yeah, I watched both. Yeah, of I watched. It. I watched all of it. Uh huh. I really liked Sybil Shepherd and how infuriated she was over the bathrobe and the the fudge pops constantly. Mm-hmm. Just that he was just camped out in their house <laughs> sucking down a hundred fudge pops a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, can't That's an asshole right there. Oh, come on. That point, it's all he had. That's <laughs> <Fudge>. a <laughs> madman out in the desert. 
Make it a crazy movie with... God, who was in that movie that I was like, what? Uh, in the party scene. Um, shit. I can't remember who it was now. Anyway. It's neither here nor there. This has nothing to do with Michael Crichton. Nothing. Nothing. Or nothing to do with this movie. Uh, we kind of really glossed over the Crichton as much as we need to, I think, last week. So I'll talk more about the because the actors in this are a little bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. We had Selleck last week cast as a lead, and this Selleck week we've got Albert Finney. You don't think well, so? I do, is- and I'll get back to him in a minute. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> yeah, Albert Finney. So he's really like the actor's actor, though. Mm-hmm. He's won everything except for the Oscar. He's been nominated for the Oscar five fucking times. Somehow he's never won it. Tom Jones won everything but that. He's just getting the snub, I guess. Yeah, they don't like him for some reason. He's too good. That's what it is. And how about that hair? Have you ever seen his hair? Yeah, that's the thing. You got uh, your Tom Selleck. He's the man's man. Albert Finney's the actor's actor. He's not really like an unattractive man. He's just very unassuming. Right. But I think it's a good cast for this role because his character's. He's he nails it. He's like, I'm just a plastic surgeon. Yeah. No, I think it's great. You know what I think was going on with his hair? Huh. Not to not to dwell on it. But uh this is probably, you know, happening right around the same time as Annie. Annie's released the next year. But he could be shooting both. You never know. Maybe he's in Daddy Warbucks mode and he's got a wig on in this movie. Just a thought. I have no verification, no basis for any of this. But I'm just saying the time period might line up. I feel like that's just his hair doing what his hair does. You think that's just normal? That's just what he looks like. All right. I feel like he's even wearing his own clothes looks- in this. <laughs> that's just him being the best fucking actor. Like, he just melts into that role. You can't yeah. imagine him not being that way. He's like, the only thing you have to do is lose the accent, Finney. And he's like... Yep. I will mostly, kinda, mostly, mostly. I like to keep a little, a little sprinkling of, of spice of my ancestors in my performance. Thank you. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's also my character's ancestry. So there, he's got an excuse for everything. This Finny. <laughs> Have you ever <laughs> seen Under the Volcano? No. I've never either, and I want to watch it, because one, it's a later instance of what uh, John Huston film, and two, everything I've read is that it's uh, the, everyone is brilliant mm. that was involved in making it, and I've never seen it. How late is that? So there's like, another one for you guys. It's 90s. 90s, wow, okay. 90s John Huston. Man. Or at least late 80s. Um, this is of course 1981. At this point, the star, or at least female lead, one Susan Day. You will know her of of course as Lori Partridge. Of course. You didn't know that. I knew that. I just you? never really watched the Partridge Family. For some reason, where I lived, the syndication focused mainly Brady Bunch. I never really had Partridge Family uh, reruns going where I was. For some reason. 
and I'm too There's young another reason you may to see it when it was on, sir. Yeah. yeah. There's another reason you may not have watched it. It sucks really bad. Oh, that might be it too. When uh the Canadian broadcasting company because i had to grow up on side we had a big dish and i watched canadian television when i was younger because we couldn't have enough money to subscribe to anything yeah that lunch they would show uh the monkeys on much music or cbc4 or something like that right and when they switched over to the partridge family we would just not watch tv during that will be yeah like nope this half hour is just when we get ready for lancelot link to come on They would actually do back-to-back episodes, so you'd have an hour of Partridge Family, and I found it to be completely impalatable. Yeah. Even at the age of 13. Right. Uh, In order for her to shake the Partridge Family, she had to do nude rolls, and this is the middle of three. Oh. Okay. Then what happened? Yeah. L.A. Law and all the Emmys. right. L.A. Law. Yeah. Right. Okay. La law. She didn't have to do any nudity on the law. No. Nope. Well, she did the roles that she did leave nothing to the imagination, so, yeah. Well, hey. We can draw her tits from memory now. <laughs> Speaking of, just like last week, this one gets a PG somehow. Really? Really? This is like more tits than last well, week. Well, yeah, way more. I mean, they're they're brief. They're brief instances, really, but there's several. I mean, you get like at the in the opening credits, I think there's a th- like a mugshot of him. <laughs> it's a three like bam bam bam. There's they side, have Terry front, Wells <laughs> who's fresh off of Playmate of the Year. Uh-huh. Just like Here's some Playboy yeah. right here for you, kitties. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I there was nothing else in the movie that I thought would warrant that, but I, th- I figured for sure that that was a rated R. Huh. This no, is the I, inverse of last week. It is the inverse of last week. Huh. PG. Yeah. So, do you know anything about Lee Taylor Young? I don't really know a lot. Was no. she a factory girl? I'm not sure. Is that what where she came from? I know that I saw some pictures of her with Warhol. I know that she's in Soylent Green, mm. and I like that movie. Yeah. Uh, and that she hadn't really done anything significant since Soiler, Soylent Green until like a run of movies, invo- including this one. Uh, so I guess there's that. She's she's really not that interesting, I right. guess. <laughs> now here's the interesting part. NFL linebacker Tim Rosovich, brother of Rick Rosovich. Well, how'd he get into this movie? Nothing to do with Rick Rosovich. Everything to do with it. He played at USC and was Tom Selleck's roommate in college. And wait a minute. Yeah. Conspiracy theory that I have now is that Michael Crichton had a tall guy's cool club circa early 80s. And they would just like hang out and high five each other. But you think in eighty one because this is, I mean, when did Pi Magnum Pi start? When is Tom Selleck? Uh, Tom around Selleck this time. Right? But the thing is, is that Selleck was in coma 
which was a Crichton written directed oh, film that he right. did in the seventies, right? So they're he does buddies predate. already. You're right. Okay. All right. Conspiracy Selix. confirmed. <laughs> yes, Selick's stardom wasn't there yet, yeah. but that doesn't mean that Cool Guys Tall Guy Club That's doesn't true. already exist. That's right. Is Crichton tall? Crichton's like six six. He's super tall. Holy shit! Okay, yeah. This makes sense. All right. Yeah, it does. I think you're onto something. I'd have to be. <laughs> That is the most interesting. Okay. Well, actually, not quite the most interesting thing. This all starts years ago when I go to your house looking for the DVD copy of this mm-hmm. because it has been at large for some 12 to 15 years. Right. And uh, I introduce you to the theme song. Yeah. Of Looker. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, this is badass. Now, it's actually tragedy because the, the composer. Brian Devoren is the guy that did the Young and the Restless theme, among a million other things, wow. right? Super famed composer. Sue Sad and The Next are the ones that actually perform this and Highwire for the soundtrack. Sue Sad and The Next had a real problem of being too awesome. Hmm. They're sort of new wave, but they mix in very heavy progressive rock for the time period, it is a little too hard for most new wave fans. And I don't know. Did you huh. listen? Did you watch all the way through the credits uh, no. into the end of the song? Oh, man. It just gets like, whoa, prog rock. Huh. Awesome. I'm going to go back. Now, instead of because it's that weird time 81, we're not really pushing the soundtrack yet. Not as hard as we're going to. Right. They don't push this soundtrack. In fact... Warner, in a sort of transitional period, especially with their music label, they don't release this. They actually give this song to Kim Carnes, who do Betty Davis Eyes for her second album, Voyeur. And that version is completely inferior, because I listened to it, to the Sue Sad and the Next version. Wow. And I also listened to Highwire, and that's a fun song, too. So the theme song to Looker is on a Kim Carnes record later? Her nineteen eighty two album Voyeur. Betty Davis Eyes doesn't come out till eighty six, so I think Kim Carnes actually had four albums before that song was the mega hit. Wow. Huh. That's interesting. So what happened to it Sue Sad and the whoever's? And then next, the next they yeah. did uh they did the soundtrack for Radioactive Dreams, which I still, okay. which because Albert died, we don't have the Blu-ray of that yet. I believe it's still being worked on. I believe there's still going to be a good release of a quality copy of that film and probably the soundtrack. Um, I think they she they did songs for Vicious Lips. Uh, okay. They just sort of were a band that was probably too good to be in L.A. Huh. Interesting. And they had one album around 86, I believe, and they just never materialized into anything. I don't, I, again, it's like elements of new wave. She has a really good voice. They all could sing in harmony. And then they had this heavy progressive rock element. I just don't think people were really ready for them. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to check them out beyond just looker. 
Yeah. Um, apparently Fox had optioned this and Congo. And when Crichton had a conscience and said, no, we can't do Congo because apes are, are endangered and this would not be good to make this movie. He's pretty much blackballed from Fox. Huh. And they optioned the movie and Alan Ladd had early, this is an early Ladd company and we get to see a computer version of the Ladd company logo mm-hmm. here. And that's why I'm mentioning it. Cause that's what it comes up is Ladd company. And so, um, Ladd optioned this immediately. And this is the only Michael Crichton picture to go over time and over budget. Oh. Why? What were the difficulties? I think Warner wanted too much out of it, and then they decided they didn't want anything out of it, changed the block that it got, and this is where Coburn's so goddamn pissed off. I see. They spent $12 million on this in 1981, which wow. is not the $20 million that was spent on Megaforce in 1981, <laughs> but it's still a pretty big budget. <laughs> yeah. Especially for a minor block. Right. And they're really hoping to make it all back on TV. Well, you know... At least Megaforce had it every dollar on screen, right? <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> and the ripple effect was felt all the way to the one of the more recent Star Wars movies when they actually went straight up Megaforce in it. And I'm like, really? You're going fucking Megaforce on this one? Really? All right. Godspeed. <laughs> I mean, I can see how much... Uh... How much cocaine Hal Needham's doing at that time on screen? Sure. That's what I see. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea if that's true. I wanted to accuse Crichton of doing one of the male models as a Hitchcockian cameo, but I could find Mm. no evidence of it. I thought he was either the windsurfer or he was the model that kisses uh, one of the lady models in the uh, fake commercials at the end, the uh, Verhoeven-esque fake commercials that are in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Those are great. Uh, so the movie starts and we stumble upon a plastic surgeon who has a conscience. This is something that doesn't probably exist in real life because she's like, I need all of these modifications done. And he's like, why? Yeah. You're hot as hell. Yeah. It, it seems like like to me, it made it made me feel like, oh, this guy probably does a lot of like reconstruction, reconstructive surgery, like. People are you know, burn victims. Who knows? You know, stuff like that is what he's that, used to I, doing. Right. And that he's for it to be like you, strictly cosmetic seems to be a luxury that is maybe a lot more rare than we think of it today. That's how it felt to me. Yeah. His well, his buddy doctor comes in and he's like, if you don't do it, somebody who's shitty is going right. to do it. And he's like, well, I guess I better do it. Then I owe it to the beauty of mankind. Her, he says also that's how are yeah, you going to do her? If you don't do her, yep, someone more competent will. Yeah, I'll do her. He's like, I'll do her. <laughs> and then the other guy's like, and I'll date her. Yeah. I was like, huh, what a weird arrangement you people have. Yeah, that's strange. <laughs> but then you find out Albert Finney is making all this money off of the Beverly Hills so he can start a burn ward unit for children. There go. Yeah. yeah. What a great He's guy. A good man. We're immediately sent into the theme song music video that it's like, is it a movie or is it 
because we find out later that they really decided to change the block and push this thing for TV, it's starting to make sense why it has this in it. Right. It's got a TV-length intro in it. With tits in it. With tits so, in it. I'm sure there's going to be a recut somewhere, right? How confusing. <laughs> He's like, oh, you'd like me to do that? I'm Michael Crichton. I won't say anything bad about you, but I'm going to give you something that you're going to have to rework because there's tits all over this theme song that you wanted. And the theme song is apparently too hardcore and edgy for you to air, so you're going to have to get Kim Carnes to fucking redo it. Man. <laughs> I love the I love the song. I love the I love the whole credit sequence. I love the mugshot boobs. I love it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everything's awesome. Yeah. And then it sort of kind it kind of fizzles out. It isn't as long and as sort of pronounced a music video as I kind of remember from seeing it 15 or however many years ago it's been since I've seen this. Right. But it the same thing happens that I is the same head scratcher that somebody rings our doorbell. I guess she's got a date. And this is Lisa, the yeah. uh, playmate of the year, Terry Wells character. She just answers the door in her underwear. Yeah, just panties and bra. Like you do. Who does I mean, that? I do. I put on panties you and bra. Do not. Whenever the doorbell rings, I throw on my panties and bra. And I go and then and you say, What are it's Paul What are you selling? It's all part of my Please, no one ever come to my door again campaign. <laughs> it's probably going well. It's going well. I rarely hear the doorbell. <laughs> but yeah, that, that uh, scene's kind of cool. I like that scene. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty suspenseful and strange in a compelling way. Like, she's... Uh, you know, it's a typical, almost like a slasher scene. Like you're like, oh, no one's there, whatever, and then, and then you know, some something bad's gonna happen. It's very foreboding, and you see the shadow of a man behind the curtains, and a man in Macho Man Randy Savage's glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and then something strange happens to her, and she wraps herself up in the curtains to at the open window and falls out of the building to her death and drops her dog before she does it because Crichton knows to never do the dog. Yeah. You gotta be careful. De Niro's still reeling over that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, but really it's like, what is she? Whoa. She's doing this to herself. It's weird. Like, you're like, and wasn't there someone there? And then this guy comes back in and he sets a pen on the couch, right? Yes. And a what looks like a, a cracked milk dud on the bed and, uh, uh-huh. and puts this weird gun thing back in the case. She found this empty gun case on her bed uh, that looked like a gun, like an imprint of a gun would put in it. But mm-hmm. it's a strange looking gun. So he does that. So that's all we know that's going on. And immediately I'm like, this movie's pretty cool. Yeah. Later we'll find out because the detective goes in to meet with uh, Dr. Larry. What's his last name? Finney. 
I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. No. <laughs> Should get this pulled up. So. We'll just call him Larry. Yeah. Larry. Dr. Larry. He meets with Larry and he, uh, he's like, towards the end of the meeting when he's like, all these hot girls are killing themselves. And he's like, that doesn't really make any sense. And he's like, no, it doesn't. This is actor Dorian Harewood, who's been in about everything, mm-hmm. but never really made a, he's just a character actor. I think he was in the, the Roots cash grab, like another Roots, Roots 2. What was that called? Roots Next Generation. I can't remember. I know yeah. I know what you're talking about, though. But he was in Full Metal Jacket. Yes, that's where I recognize him most yeah, from. Yeah, he was 8-Ball. Eight 8-Ball, eight yeah. Albert but Finney's he, the Dr. Larry scene. Roberts. Larry Roberts. A very bland name. Very bland. There's a... There's this... Versus the character that is Tom Selleck and everything about Runaway that doesn't make sense with the rest of the work of Michael Crichton, mm-hmm. this one fits in perfectly. You have an unassuming, boring doctor who now has to serve as a hero. Mm. Yeah. I like that. But now the frame is on because he gives him back the pen, which should be evidence, should it not? I would, I would assume so. And he also sees that the thing that we thought was a a tiny bocce ball or a cracked milk dud Uh (laughs) is actually a button from his coat, his blazer. And we think, wow, the tailors were just cavalier with with their materials (laughs) at this time, were they not? This is really an expose about the tailors of the time. Yeah. Crichton's taken no prisoners, is what I'm saying. Crichton's packed this with big middle fingers to everybody. (laughs) I believe Tina is waiting in the office, and she's coked out of her gourd, but also gone into a paranoid frenzy because they're going to kill us all, is what she's saying. Mm. All of the perfect girls are being murdered and he's like what the hell are you talking about and she's like i left my clothes at my apartment and then leaves all of her shit there and then just disappears right yeah so he gets into the worst porsche ever built the 928 it could be a 944 early either way it's not one of the best ones they ever built and then drives to her house only to witness her fall from the balcony onto the car Mm -hmm. that's a real human falling on a car from an undetermined height there's no way to fake what they did here that's a real fall onto a bag from the undershot and from the overshot they just drop a lady on a car (laughs) are you (laughs) yeah i mean it looks like it i don't i mean i assume no one was hurt because there wasn't a Twilight Zone style criminal case. But yeah, it looks like they drop a lady on a car. They do. Uh, Finney's going to have to do his own stunts later, getting tossed through stuff yeah. because they wanted to keep all the camera angles looking very realistic. And so there's a number of points where I, I read that Crichton was like, everybody was a really good sport. I was pretty tough on them. Yeah. He's a real tyrant. So he dropped a lady in a car. He's being all Friedkin on The Exorcist. 
It's like, just yank him yeah. back. Who cares? <laughs> Fucker. Let her walk with a limp for the rest of her life. I don't care. Just need not shoot also, a right, shotgun she- next to the head. It's a maniac. <laughs> Also, I, for- I failed to mention that we do notice, we witness a piece of what used to be America. A doctor lighting someone's cigarette for mm. them in the doctor's office. Oh, yeah. Back when America was free. Where you were encouraged, yeah. if not forced, to smoke inside. Except for your T-zone. And good for Albert Finney's teeth. Did you see those ah, things? Wow. Hey. Well, like three packs a day he's teeth. He's British Ooh. too, right? Yeah. yeah. It looked like he was thing. chasing cigarettes with broccoli. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> he probably prescribed them. Yeah. Two packs a day now. Four, four packs. Get up to two. Don't be... Don't be we just don't be lying to me. Tell me you're smoking two and only smoking smoking one. If you can get to three, get there. That's right. You know what's good for you. The detective uh, is meets uh, Larry Roberts at the apartment of the woman who's just fallen to her death, and he goes, "So that's what happened." That's the worst goddamn story I've ever heard. <laughs> and then Finney goes, it's true. And then he looks at him and goes, shit. <laughs> yeah. It's an honest reaction. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not going to arrest him or take him in or anything. He's like, yep, this is fishy. God right. damn it. Did you leave any... Evidence at her apartment I can give back to you right now? <laughs> yeah, just myself. No, we don't have any leads, but here, you left her pen on her, on her couch. <laughs> some photographs of you throwing her off of the balcony. Uh, uh, your DNA is all over her. But this guy's this guy's uh, clients are just dying left and right, but only a specific yeah. group of them. Commercial models. Yeah, the ones that came in with specific, specific, uh, like down to millimeters. Like, my nose needs to be 0.5 millimeters smaller to the right. You know, they'd have very specific specifications and... uh it was all very unusual. Very unusual. And now we're whisked away because one of the only one left, who's Susan Day's character, Cindy, mm. uh, Albert Finney goes to one of her little commercial shoots and he's like, I need you to go to dinner with me. And she's like, oh, really? We're dating? And he's like, no, um, it got canceled. My other date canceled, and I just need somebody to go to this thing with me. Also, it's uh, yeah. Ruston Industries dinner party, the guy that does all the commercials. And she's like, oh, I should go to that, even though I think I already work for him. Right. Yeah. But, you know, get to meet him, rub elbows. You never know. 
Get some FaceTime in there. You're going to go a little higher, maybe more than commercials this right. time. We find out there that Lee Taylor Young, Jennifer Long, is the director of Digital Matrix Industries. DMI. And that they are a, just a CGI company yeah. early on before real a lot of this was happening. They're like, we're completely harmless. We're not doing anything illegal. Uh, I guess they're not. Maybe I, they I, are. I, I don't know. I guess not. It seems like a shitty dinner party, so uh, Larry and Cindy get drunk. He takes her home and then is once again a gentleman yeah. and just puts her in bed and says... Just lays on top of her for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> like, you can't have this. This is what you want? All of this Finny? All of this middle-aged average man just, I'm, you desire? I'm, my man flesh is melting down over your the contours of your young, ripe physique. And I know it makes you feel warm and sexy, but I'm not going to let you have it. I'm getting up, and my body will retain its shape again, and I'm going to my bedroom. Also, I get up at 6.30. Leave you with your blue balls. See you bright and early, lady. It's my new Albert Finney impression. Yeah. No, it's really good. Very good. And now at this point in the movie, I'm going to break the narrative a little bit. We have been just sort of like, there is nothing but male gaze happening in this movie. <laughs> For sure. And the character is working completely opposite to it. It yeah. is so strange. Yeah. yeah. And definitely on purpose. I like it. So he goes to, he takes her. He's like, oh. And at this point, we're realizing that he's just doing his own gumshoeing at this point. And he's also trying to yeah. keep her alive. He's like, I'm a, yeah. I'm a plastic surgeon, but I've been thrust into a situation where I'm worried about your life. I'm going to keep an oh, eye on you. I'll just drive you to work. I'll just, I'm taking you home. You think for a tryst, but really, I'm just keeping you safe. You're going to be with me. Take you to work in the morning. Yeah. And this is where the, is this where the title cards start with a Saturday? Oh, the title cards have been going on the whole time. Oh, this is where I yeah, first started to notice it, I guess. It's Saturday now, and he takes her to the commercial shoot for something that involves bikinis and volleyball and her right. falling down over and over yeah. and over again. Just continuously throwing herself down. And there that she's uh she's not matching the computers what the the director and the the crew are having a problem with. Yeah, she's not getting to the right job, right spot in the frame and doing exactly the thing she needs to do. If they were maybe to print a picture out of it, like this is just bad directing, I think. The director yeah. is actually Terry Kaiser Terry too. Kaiser. He's making a small cameo here. Yes. Old Bernie. So they say, scrap it, we're just going to get the whole thing in post. And you're like, whoa? How are they going to do that? Yeah. And, and we it, find and out because they. Yeah, but Finney has spotted a Digital Matrix Industries van nearby. 
And he goes over to it because the back door is open and he looks inside and they're trying to match her to this. And they they're talking now about like, we're just going to do it all animated. We're going to have to do the animation. We're, we're just moving to phase four. These commercials are too hard to make with real people. Yeah. So they send him off to Digital Matrix. She finds out that she's going to get $200,000 a year for her likeness. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to scan her body and then do all of the commercials with animation. Yeah. This is exactly what they did with Andy Circus. If you ever see Andy Circus in anything, even if he just looks like Andy Circus, he's actually just a digital recreation. <laughs> Isn't that true? That's not true. Andy Circus isn't even real. I made that up, right? Or did I? No, these <laughs> the the actor that plays Andy Circus in Earth is actually Gollum. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's all it's layers upon layers at this point. It's hard to figure out yeah. where the real world Macaulay, begins and Macaulay Culkin's doing all of the motion capture for it. Oh. Wow, that's really interesting. He's a talented guy. I mean, the aftershave thing and that. Yeah. So while they're scanning her very naked body for a very long time and then bringing up 3D (laughs) animations of naked ladies. He the guy, one of the scientists like walks her into this weird, you know, mechanical area on this platform and says, you're going to walk over there. And she's like. By myself? And he's like, yep. And then he leaves, and she walks over, and does she disrobe there, or she's already disrobed? Yeah. No, she she's got her bat. Yeah, the robot lady's like, take off your clothes now. And she's like, yeah. oh, great, you perverts. And it's, then- It seems like such a weird way to do this. And it, the move- She's on like a weird turntable that like lowers down into a bottom place. And then it just it turns her around and around while she gets scanned, which that part makes sense. But to like make her just walk down onto that circle and then it like lowers her down like she's getting ready to pop back up like a, a Bon Jovi concert or something. Well, it seems to me that the movie's gone full Star Wars here because she's mm-hmm. getting dropped in the carbonite, basically. Yes. Is what that looks like. Exactly. And then meanwhile, they're... Uh, Lee Taylor Young is showing Albert Finney why they have to do this because people aren't looking at the right spots in commercials and he's wearing the targeting yeah. computer for an X-Wing. <laughs> yeah. Stay on target. They're like, you're looking at the boobs, Albert. Stay on target. Look at the product. Like, I like the boobies. Like, And the whole thing adds up to, do you see that part on the screen where her boobs are right now? If you cut immediately to the product being in the same spot as the boobs, they'll see it. I feel uh-huh. like that's the whole, the end of this operation. Yeah. <laughs> that is the end of this, this operation. Millions of dollars spent to find out that guys look at boobs. Uh-huh. <laughs> genius. Yeah, they just need to have some naked people standing there with rice over their bits. <laughs> yep. And the rice flies off the shelf. Sells itself. Hey, honey, when you're at the store, could you pick me up some of that pussy rice ro- ro- <laughs> Also robots. Robots, little boxy robots. 
These ones are a lot more sleek. Mm. Later when we find out when we actually see the robot, but we see that there's channels for the robot janitors to follow and she's like, "Yep, there's really nothing sinister going on here. We're just going to start making actors fake actors." Yeah. This was a real concern like 20 years later. I'm still concerned that, that was going to happen. And what's interesting about this is what they're doing is they're using sets and they're putting the actors in virtual actors in real sets. And it's funny that in real life, this has happened exactly oppositely where we, all we have left yeah. is people standing in front of a green wall and everything else is completely fake. Right. But all of this technology they're using right here is being used now mm-hmm. all the time. Monday night football uses this stuff. Right. And apparently there was a company in Texas using CT scanning to try to do this already when he was making the movie. Wow. Which I think is incredible. Yeah. They've been trying to remove the actor that long. Crazy. Anything to get rid of the soul. Mm-hmm. Um, For creating perfect commercials. Right. Which is should be the goal of all human humanity. Um do we do we talk about during the tour, Finney steals a security badge? Yes. That's oh, what I was just okay. gonna mention. He's He's like, this is sinister. I'm stealing the security badge. Yeah. Uh, he's got some wasn't... concerns. Yeah. And he's no master thief because after he leaves, Jennifer or Lee Taylor Young's like to James Coburn, he stole a card. Everybody saw him do yeah. it. He was really <laughs> shitty at it. And he's like, ah, whatever. Don't right. bother him too much. Yeah. And she's like, I Even think though... we should search his house with the looker device. Yeah. So now we're going to find out, kind of, we're almost going to find out what that is. And that James Coburn's like, don't mess with him that much. We're trying to frame him for murder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So don't fuck (laughs) with him, I guess. Yeah. Back off. You know? Don't make it rough on him. He's It's the worst is yet to come for this guy. Bigger fish to fry. Let him have his security badge. Yeah. So now they send the guy, the... uh, Tim Rosovich with Macho Man's glasses out to his house. And he, before he's this time sequence happens, he's just staring at these hippies in his beachfront lot going, get out of my yard, hippies. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of like, he, blinks there's this weird flash they had done apparently there is a uh on a principal photography they're they're using flashes here but they decided it wasn't enough so they add some post-production negative effect to it yeah to sort of bring it out a little bit more uh i think it, it mostly works uh it, it kind of but works it, but it kind of evokes like uh incredible hulk like a little bit yeah the old the lou ferrigno show Mm-hmm. Like that's what it made me think of, but I like it. I like the way he yeah. does it. I like the way the sequences play out, and I like the way it reveals what's happening. Like, cause yes, I, it was confusing, but not like put like off putting in its confusingness. Yeah, and he had hidden the security card upside down on a picture frame against a white background so that you could barely see it, which does kind of work here yeah. because. At this point, the Macho Man, Tim Rosovich guy, the henchman, 
he's trying to find this in his apartment for about two hours. And so we yeah. keep flashing ahead 30 minutes until it's finally six and he's just given up on it. He's just yeah. like, fuck, I couldn't find it. And it's because like, well, you're trying to find white on white with sunglasses on. It's going to be difficult. Right. <laughs> and in the meantime, Susan Day has gone to her parents' house. Yes. Uh, and her parents will are watching television and are so hypnotized by what's happening. They barely look at her. They talk to her a little bit. But they won't. They just want her to get out of the way, basically. Yeah. So they can my note there shows. is on second thought. I'm not going to visit my parents anymore. <laughs> yeah. There's really no point anymore. The real winner of this sequence is that Budweiser product placement that makes it like center stage, like yeah. where you're supposed to be looking through the whole time. Like he's even doing that on purpose. There's some elements of fine filmmaking happening here where he's like, Oh, you're going to make me put Budweiser in here. I'm going to use it for the narrative sort of like fourth wall ish shit. Ah, right. take that. Yeah. And is it, is that a Budweiser commercial going? I think so. When we're looking at the Budweiser, there's a beer commercial on the audio is running. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I like it. Yeah. So she comes back and she's like, what the hell's going on? And he just he just cuts to the next scene and he's just like, I have no idea. So now they're going back to Digital Matrix Industries with the stolen card. And she's like, we're never going to get in there. The security's too good. So he puts on a white lab coat there and walks go. in the front door. And the security guard's like, hey, you got to sign in. Master of disguise. First instance <laughs> of the master of disguise. <laughs> And then he signs in, and he's like, eh, put the time in, too. I'm right, like, oh, right, okay, right. yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, procedures. Yes, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> Let's go. They're unable to get into the room with the looker device, but they do go to an adjacent room, and we are we now see the janitor bot, which is much nicer than the bots in, in, uh, in Runaway last week. Yeah. And we see how it works, and they realize, oh, this janitor bot's going across the hall to the room we want to get into. Yeah. So they have a ride-along with the Janibot 4000. Yeah, they hop right on. And the engines aren't even stressed. You'd think it'd be like... Yeah, like <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Nope. Damn fine janitor bot that right is, there. That is a fine machine. Although it looks like it's uh, dumping trash into itself, but I can't see for the life of me where it's going. I just think it goes back to where it came from and it shoots the trash out of its butt, maybe. Oh, cool. Yeah. Just digests it. Just does it. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Leaves it all meanwhile, over the place. <laughs> Tim Rosovich's character, which in the script is named Mustache Man. Oh. Is on to them because he sees access denied entries. I guess he's also the head of security and he's hired nutsacks because the guy that works for him is just watching football and not paying attention to all of this security problems that are happening virtually all around him. Right. Very accurate, I, I believe. Yeah. 
So Mustache Man makes it upstairs, puts on his uh, Macho Man glasses. We see other prototypes of the Macho Man glasses here, and there's some mm-hmm. chemicals and other things around the room. And he uses it on them. Susan Day has gone catatonic. And now we get back yeah. to the sort of point of view. And this is a very strange because we now can go back to the first scene of the woman going off of the balcony, sort of twisting herself up. And even though we were not in her direct point of view, the film is seeing what she sees. So we now right. understand with what's happening to Finney that she just didn't know he's there because yeah. this gun basically hypnotizes you into being making the user of the weapon invisible. Right. And so we now know that the mustache man twisted her up in the curtains and tossed her off the edge. She didn't just do that herself. Yeah. And that he's really toying with Finney cat and mouse style and just kind of beating the crap out of him. And we just see Albert Finney blind with vision getting tossed around this laboratory. Yeah. There's some fun things that happen with him seeing the henchman in the monitor or mirrors and things like that are outside of the gun's ability. And he uses that to sort of piece together a strategy in which to escape his, these, the attacks from the invisible assailant and yeah. uh, eventually uses the gun against him. And then rather than being a tough guy, he's really just a plastic surgeon. So he kicks him in the nuts. Yeah, it's great. And isn't the first time he uses it against him, he uses the ma- uh, the Randy Savage glasses, Macho yeah. Man glasses. He puts them on and the reflection bounces back and blind- hypnotizes that guy and he gets to kick him in the in the balls. Yes. And then yeah. he also uses the acid to destroy the rest of the prototype glasses so they're no longer good. Yeah. And uh, foolishly then, when, they, when he finally gets Susan Day to come through come to yeah. he tosses the macho man glasses aside and keeps the, the gun yeah the fuck was that but that comes back on him later he should yeah. have kept those glasses i know but why would i don't know i don't know why people do things sometimes yeah like, he then makes those were very a sort useful of- don't drop them and leave them but in the narrative the peril that happens to him later is by his own mistake Mm. And the film points that out, like, you should have kept those, bud. Right. It's not like, you should, we say that, and then everything works out fine. It's like, no, you made a mistake. Yeah. Uh, So now that he takes Susan to his office, and he's thinking, well, this is probably not a very good hiding place because it is my office. And sure enough, it isn't. The phones are out. God damn it. You know. He's got the, the hypno gun. But they use the smoke that he read about that basically disables it. And he's like, what's going to happen here? And they're like, we're going to shoot you with real guns. And you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Just up the ante. <laughs> yeah. He's back to being basically hapless again. He's yeah. Kind of doing the sort of battle role that you would do if you were a middle-aged Albert Finney. <laughs> he's able to survive but he is not able to protect her he is not a hero yeah she is captured he does cut a man's hand and then they realize well we're in his office he knows it a little bit better than us we haven't shot him yet we got the girl let's just fuck off and they yeah. do yeah they fuck his office up yes there's a lot of damage 
At one point, he tries to break out one of the outside windows to yeah. get airflow to clear out the smoke. Like, he's trying things, but it's not working. Yeah. And they, they are victors in this encounter. Yeah. I like it. I like it all. We get a brief glimpse of Dorian Harewood, the detective, and he's basically, or they've gone through the office crime scene and they're like, we got the the smoke thing that we think. And you realize now the movie has told us that Dorian Harewood's character has been onto them for a while, mm -hmm. but has no way they're being way too smart and careful. And so he basically has to use Larry Roberts yeah. as bait to flush out anything and says as much like, mm -hmm. well, if Robert survives, we might catch these guys. Yeah. It's all on the plastic surgeon's hand as mm -hmm. always, as always. So then that was Saturday. Then we move yes. on to Sunday. Uh-huh. We are told as much by the title card, right? Now we have a high chase scene involving, it looks like a celebrity and his Porsche. Right. They both have the guns of hypnotism. The henchmen are dumb because they don't put their glasses on until he zaps them yeah. first. And what is wrong with these people? It's like people that won't wear masks. I'm like, just put the yeah. glasses on. Put the glasses <laughs> Why on. Why aren't you wearing the glasses the whole time? There's a, a brief bit of Michael Crichton almost comedy here. We're in the middle of this chase scene that is a lot more exciting than the chase scene in, in last week's film. Mm -hmm. uh, he has to stop for nuns. Yeah, he almost runs over a whole pack. What do you call a group of nuns? Is it a, a habit? No, they're, they're, that's what they wear. So what would, you know, a murder of nuns? What would it be? A <laughs> flock? A, 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 a gaggle? A gaggle of nuns? A nunnel? Convent. None pile? convent of nuns. Anyway. Some. Yeah. Some nuns. No, just there's some because I, I they're nuns, oh, but yeah. now there's more than ah. one of them, so there's some of them. There are some Not of none nuns. of them. A sum of nuns. Yes. So he almost runs over a sum of nuns. I'm glad <laughs> we figured that out. Yeah. Yeah. And... He starts driving a little bit more cautiously using his rear view mirror. They blast him in the rear view mirror. It gets yeah. him. And he comes to is now fountain. in. He's <laughs> in the fountain at Echo Park. Yeah. There's no way to get in there. I actually had the the moment when I was like, they're just going to shoot him while, while he's driving. I was like, oh, yeah, that's what they did to those girls, I think. Yeah. He does better. He survives somehow. Yeah. Luckily, God. Is it looks like you he see got some, some air. Like he went over some shrubbery to get into that thing. And like yeah. the barrier, uh the you know, the outside part of the fountain is not broken at all. He fit he sailed into that fountain. Yeah, he dropped right in there somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Crichton afterwards is like we should we cut this differently to make it seem like he'd actually be able to get in there. Or we were going to do something that made it seem like he was actually able to get in there. But test audiences were responding to certain things one way. And I just don't get test audiences that we have to fix these things that really make sense. And they just don't care about things that don't make sense, like this car being in the fountain. So I left it in there like that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I wrote down a note like these are shitty police cars and a shitty ambulance, but it turns out those aren't police cars. That's the, right. Uh, James Coburn has his own like private security force masquerading as the police that come to handle this incident before the police can get there. Yeah. And uh, Larry Roberts decides the best place to hide will be in the back of a police car. Mm-hmm. They'll never find him there. And they didn't. They didn't until that police car is driving and he sits up and is like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, you're back there. <laughs> oh. They get on the radio and they're we like, we're looking for we you. We got Dr. Roberts. <laughs> But Good he's job, able guys. to somehow, yep. somehow, uh, he he has the hypnotizing gun still. He still has yeah. the looker device. So yeah, he hypnotizes them and and dis, you know takes their clothes and disguises himself. This is some pretty like master disguise, man. This guy's he's really taken to his new line of work. Yeah, I don't know what he even that asked work him, like- is. You guys don't know about the looker device? Oh, well, let me show it to you. Yeah. Daring. <laughs> Stupid. So now he's in, he's infiltrated the party where the big coming out right. party for the perfect commercials is happening. And you're still thinking to yourself, why the fuck do you have to be so evil to just make commercials. Right. And then James Coburn tells us why. Yeah, he just lays it all out. At a podium, at a microphone. They virtualized the senator running for president. They're uh-huh. going to take over the country. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. And then he's even telling them how stupid they are. He's like, 15 years of prison is punishment, but losing 15 years of your life to this box is entertainment. Okay. Well, we're going to pull the wool all the way over your eyes. Yeah. Yep. Pretty sinister. It is. And you're not really ready for that level of sinister, even though they have left breadcrumbs to this end through the whole thing. Talking about the senator. And you see, and when the senator commercial is going on, there's uh, uh, Susan Day is with, um, what's her name? The the one that runs Digital Matrix. And she says... Uh, Susan Day says they don't know what's being done to them. And speaking of the viewers watching the thing and she and she, her response is they're fascinated. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know. Something about that just resonates. <laughs> with me. It should like, resonate like this is man. like there is actual like when you think like there there is terror happening here now all of a sudden you're like well this is sinister fucking shit this is sinister fucking shit right here capricorn one shit Mm -hmm. they mix in a k card this is where they do the you see how this whole thing is going to work with the virtual sets and the or the real sets and the virtual actors and how the tail is now going to wag the dog that's really fun too because then it gets (laughs) yeah go ahead Oh, they're sneaking around get- through it uh, and popping up during like they're they're like showing these commercials live. They're shooting the sets live and uh, placing the digital things in them live while people are watching and uh, at, at the party at least. 
Yeah. They're not going out over the air, I guess. And uh, But there's Albert Finney hiding in the car, you know, with these like, or, or the best ones when the guy's laying out on the table, he got shot. The, the kids yes. are at the breakfast table. There's, they think it's like comedy. Like these are red herring yeah. things happening. And then the, the viewers are like starting to like, as it's happening, going, wait, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. Now there's a dead guy. Uh, the mustache man shoots uh, Lee Taylor Young accidentally. She dies, and yeah. she dies in a really cool way where uh, Susan Day is trying to free herself, and she's mm-hmm. so committed to like the plan that she knows she's going to die, but she won't let Susan Day have the keys to unlock herself. Yeah. I thought that was like, wow, you're fucking evil, lady. Yeah. Yeah cold cold shit happening yeah coburn's now realized if you want something done you got to do it yourself and he's out there with the gun hopping Mm -hmm. around finney is slightly more than hapless because he does have the device now he uses it on the mustache man and then rather than anything else bad happen there coburn just kills him and right. that's where he ends up on the breakfast table in the commercial with the virtual family. <laughs> yeah. And there's a dead man laying on their breakfast. It's great. And the kids are complaining about how they're having the same old breakfast again. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> called Odie's or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And he holds it up. He's like, Odie's. And there's a dead man on the table behind him. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. And this whole time, there's robotic cameras. There's all this stuff. There's like... This is every TV station now, just with that one element flipped backwards. Mm -hmm. But all of this is real now. It's true. Eventually, uh, Dorian Haywood, the lieutenant, the detective, he's like, all right, we got enough evidence. He's on screen being a murderer. We can get him. So he just shoots James Coburn right in the throat <laughs> and then lets him die that way. Yeah. You're like, whoa. Well, there's a commercial for spurt toothpaste playing spurt. behind him. Spurt toothpaste. <laughs> yeah. That was PG. my last note. Spurt toothpaste. <laughs> yeah. God. So the. We all lived happily ever after? I don't know. He, uh,. She's like, he's like, that's a bad cut. And he's like, you'll have to treat it. And he goes, I don't date my patients. And she's like, what does that mean? And he's like, well, I don't want to treat you anymore because I want to take you out on a date. And there's no kiss. There's no, no, there's never a realization of the gaze that has been placed on her. He's still a gentleman. Yeah. And they just walk out. He's just like, later, I might bring you back to my house and lay on you on the bed. Tease you. Tease you. With my alcohol-drenched flaccid penis <laughs> dangling in front of you like a carrot on a stick. And then take my leave of you. Sleep in my <laughs> own bed. It's kind of my thing. <laughs> <laughs> my last note is, boom, three exclamation points, because the delivery of the ending of the film, I think, is really like... This is a slow builder. It gets you to a weird place you didn't think that you were going to go, and then it just drops it on you. Yeah. It's good. It's a cool movie. So 
now, do you have any questions? Because I have only one question. Like, why, aside from you, have I never heard of this movie? That's a I question. don't know. I don't know why this is so disappeared, it seems. Why Warner sort of gave up on it. It's early on Lad. So Lad, Alan Ladd doesn't really have the ability to push hard on them. Like, this thing got stuffed into a place that it shouldn't have gone. It got yeah. stuffed into a small block with the intention of trying to make money off of the TV recuts from the different stations that are going to do it, because that still happens at this time. Yeah. And it shouldn't have probably been. I don't know that it would have ever made a lot of money. And even Crichton said, when I made this, I was really trying to like open people's eyes to the sort of possible horror that could be made uh, with this technology, and no one got it. Yeah, and I guess in his career, he always trusts test audiences. And he's like, I don't really care if the movie ends up not as good as I want to, as long as people understand it. And no one ever understood this movie. Yeah. And I think both this and Runaway, like they both have like cool stuff that is relevant today. This one's better, but uh, and they're both and they both have a certain quality that I know I like and I know other people of our age like. That has like they do kind of feel a little they lean a little made for TV feeling, but it's that era. I don't I don't mind it. I'm like I like that vibe. So I feel like maybe Crichton's due for a a reevaluation as a director. Maybe there's a cult to be had for these movies that just hasn't emerged because it seems like it would have by now. Because there's movies like this that the studio dismissed that we all love and we've watched a million times. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm the spearhead of that. That's why we did these movies. The Runaway is fun just because it's such a hot mess. Mm -hmm. This is not a hot mess. This is everything that it was intended. And that's why he couldn't really... I guess there's a lot on the cutting room floor that could have been a better movie, say, according to James Coburn. But I I feel like every one of his intended themes is presented the way that he wanted to present them in this film. Uh Which leads me to my question. Because it's not presented this way, it's not sold this way, it's not marketed this way. But it really is a horror movie. Mm. Is this a good horror movie? Hmm. I think it's a... I mean, I would probably say it's more of a thriller, but that's just me not, you know... There's not much of a difference, really, when you get right down to it. It's just one's usually less has is more bloodless than the other one. <laughs> um, and here's the fun of Crichton a little bit for sort of his advanced classes. He does put things in his books, especially that he's like that you're not going to get unless you're really used to him. This is shot like a slasher and it's got ghosts in it because of the mm-hmm. invisible man's thing. This is yeah. a fucking horror movie. And I think it's one of the more well-made horror movies. It's just so veiled, I thinly, I might add, by all of these other things that you don't notice it. It's uh, sort of like The Skin That I Live In by Almodovar is really right. a horror movie and one of the more totally. terrifying things I've ever seen. Yeah, for sure. This is doing the same thing. It's just nobody fucking got it. Right. No, I, I think fucking you're love right. this movie. Yeah, I think it's great. But it's... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. It didn't hit me as a horror movie. I kind of did at times. Like I said, like that opening scene, it does feel like a slasher scene. Um, the the one with uh, the, you said she was a Playboy Playmate? Yes. 
Yeah, her uh, yeah, her death scene with the curtains and everything that plays like something out of a slasher movie. Um, and I, I yeah, there were moments when I was like, I was like, yeah, this is really suspenseful. And uh, so yeah, I suppose so, because there are movies that I definitely consider horror movies that probably are comparable to that. So yeah, I think it's an effective horror movie. Yeah. Only that nobody got it and they should have, you know, been like, wait, you should dial back. And then the TV was like, we actually don't have that power. We're going to let the Internet do that instead. Yeah. It just deals less like usually horror movies tend to deal with more like physical threats. Like, you know, someone's going to stab you here. Like, this is a scary on a different level. Yeah. This and is scary in a sci-fi level, I guess. It's more science fact level now. <laughs> just Yes. About. And. But it does that in its shooting is that it uses stalker angles constantly like a slasher when any, any of the yeah. girls are involved. And then when he's being attacked, it's a it's a ghost horror movie. He's yeah. being attacked by ghosts. It is totally. using all of those horror conventions. But then his idea at the end is this is what should be horrifying, not right. a physical threat, a threat of this level to all of us. Yeah, Absolutely. So I'm going to guess that uh, going down to final recommendations, I'll start with you. Um, skip it. It's a piece of shit. No, uh, I obviously recommend it. I think, yeah, watch it. And if you enjoy it, spread it around. More people need to see it, I think. It's sort of, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you kind of know where I'm at on any time I tell you that you have to spend money on it mm. because we had to voodoo this for three ninety nine or two ninety nine or something like that. That it's already, I'm already saying do it because I'm making you spend money on it. And I only make you spend money on the stuff that I really like. And this is one of my precious treasures. I fucking love this movie. You should watch it. And get back with this. Talk at Stinker Madness. Hit us on the Facebook, the Twitter. What you think about its filmmaking and, and what is it really? And yes, show your friends. Um, I the first time I saw it, we, Roman and I watched it, and we just showed it to other people. And so I have a pretty good memory of it because we watched it a, quite, a, even though it's been a long time, quite a few times in a very short period of time because we both liked it so much. Nice. So you've been spreading the gospel for a long time. I and I'm you know Westworld. I push Westworld pretty hard. Mm -hmm. I need to revisit Coma. I'm gonna probably go on my Crichton revisit here, and maybe I will be the spearhead of the cult of the Crichton films because they are. Not nearly as successful as books, and they have problems, but there's some, some fine storytelling and some really interesting devices that he uses in them. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, that's this week's show. For Tucker, I'm Sam. Tucker, give us a get to the chopper. But Albert Finney. Oh, God. I'm gonna do this. Let me see here. Let me get to the chopper! Get to the chopper!